1: Welcome to Grounded and Growing in Christ. I'm Dan Rhoda, a pastor of Worland Park Christian Reformed Church, and today we are going to open the Bible together to hear from God's Word. This month we are focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. There you can learn more about this audio ministry and we'd love if you'd consider providing financial support by making a gift of any amount. If you're not part of the local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Now let's turn together in our Bibles to explore what God has shared with us about gratitude.
2: I want to give our attention now to God's Word, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. We're going to begin at verse 1, we're going to read through verse 12, and let's remember as we read this, that this is God's Word, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, starting at verse 1, but all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and wise, and their deeds are in the hands of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. It's the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And as he who swears is, is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. But the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness. And madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy. And drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved of what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going." Now, I haven't made this explicit up to this point in the book, but Ecclesiastes is broken up quite nicely into three main sections, and this portion of Scripture takes us to the end of the second main section of the book of Ecclesiastes. You may have noticed that in chapter 7, in chapter 8, and chapter 9, there was a recurring series of themes that kept popping up and popping up and popping up. It happened again in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. These themes that are repeated so often in Ecclesiastes 7 and 8 and 9 are the sovereignty of God and the lack of ability that we have to control our own destiny. God is the one in control and we are not. That's a regular theme in 7 and 8 and 9. There's also regular recurring themes of sorrow and death. And paradoxically, another theme that exists within these three chapters is joy. Joy. And the encouragement to enjoy this world that God has given to us. That in the midst of the sorrow that we can't control, in the midst of the sadness and sometimes the tragedy, there is still the call to joy. That's the case for us today. It's interesting, the way that the book works is that it starts out with something of a hopeful quest that the preacher is going on in the book of Ecclesiastes. The book opens with the preacher saying that he's looking to figure out if he can find gain at something that he looks at under the sun. And so he begins in a somewhat hopeful pursuit. What can I find under the sun that will bring me gain, lasting benefit in this life that we live under the sun? And after a while of searching, the preacher realizes, well, there isn't anything that can bring me lasting gain under the sun. And that takes us into the second part of the book, which tells us oftentimes of, of death coming suddenly, of tragedy being visited on us, and how we deal with that reality. The book in that way starts hopeful and gets darker. And chapters 7 and 8 and 9 are probably the darkest portion of the book. And so chapter 9 here, as we take a look at it, will have some of that darkness, Now, thankfully, no part of the book leaves us there in utter darkness, and the book itself doesn't leave us there. In fact, starting next week, we're going to start getting to the place where the book gets brighter and brighter and brighter. And at the end of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the book ends with a beautiful crescendo calling us to trust in God. And so we're at the the part of, uh, of the greatest darkness, but things are the darkest just before the dawn. And so hope is coming. I hope that you won't stop coming and hearing about that hope. But what we're going to do right now, also, this is, this is one of the things that I've been thinking about because we're, we're finishing up the second part of the book. We're entering next week into the third part of the book. We're coming near to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. After today, we'll only have four more sermons on the book of Ecclesiastes. And as I've been thinking about that, I've been kind of sad. I have really, really enjoyed working through the book of Ecclesiastes with all of you. I have found it to be a profound benefit, all of the wisdom and the stark look at life as the way it is, and and so it's just been a joy, and that joy is going to continue for the next four four series in the book of Ecclesiastes, so keep coming, but we're getting close to the end, and that makes me a little bit sad. I've got to confess, it makes me a little bit sad. But before we think about bringing the, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes to a close, let's take a look at bringing the second part of the book of Ecclesiastes to a close by taking a look at this portion of Scripture. If you look at the whole portion of the passage with me, you probably saw that it began and that it ended in a similar sort of way. It tells us that life is very brief and that life is confusing. Life is very brief and life is confusing. And yet, the passage calls us to hope. And to be joyful. Life is brief and confusing, but we, in the midst of it, are called to hope and enjoy. And so let's look at that in four different points here. The first is the evil of the end. The second is the hope of the living. The third is the good that we enjoy. And the last is chance and frustration. So you can see just with the way that those work is that it begins and ends with talking about these chance and frustration and the evil of the end, how brief life is. And the middle calls on us to hope. And to be joyful. So that's what the passage is telling us this morning. Let's jump in and first look at the beginning part, the evil of the end. This is what verses 1 through 3 tell us about. As we begin the chapter right away, we are reminded of one of the regular themes in chapters 7 and 8 and 9. And that theme is that God is sovereign. God is in control. You probably noticed that in Ecclesiastes 9 verse 1. But I laid this, all this I laid to heart, examining it all How the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. The hand of God. That means that God is the one who is sovereign and is in control over all things. The language here of everything being in the hand of God is picked up and reflected by the Heidelberg Catechism, which is one of the confessions of this church. Here is the question and the answer of the Heidelberg Catechism that talks about this. The question is, what do you understand by the providence of God? And the answer is this. The providence of God is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which God upholds, as with his hand, heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them that leaf and blade and rain and drought and fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly Hand, God is the one who is sovereign and in control. And Ecclesiastes chapter 9 owns that at the very beginning of the passage. And yet in the owning of that, there is a challenge presented to us by the rest of the first three verses. Because Ecclesiastes chapter 9, 1 says this, that everything is in the hand of God. But then it says, whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. So this is what the passage is saying. God is in control, but just looking at the way that things are in life under the sun. It's impossible for us to tell who are in his hand for good and who are in his hand for evil. It goes on and explains what it means. This is what it's saying. Because the same end comes to everyone. You cannot, through righteousness or goodness or intelligence, prolong your life. And so because of that, because of the upside down nature often of this life where we're Good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people because death comes to everybody. It's impossible to say, just by looking at this world, who are the ones that God has blessings for and who are the ones that that he has evil for ultimately, right? And that's what the passage is saying here. It's the same for all since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, the good and the evil, the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, You cannot, by righteousness or goodness, prolong your life at all. You cannot appease God so that he gives to you more blessings in your life. Gives you long life. Gives you prosperity in the midst of your life. This is bleak,
1: but it's true. Today's message on grounded and growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, to listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, Please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. That's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself, and we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message on the topic of gratitude.
2: The passage says this in verses 4 through 6 It says But he who is joined with all the living has hope For a living dog is better than a dead lion For the living know that they will die But the dead know nothing And they have no more reward For the memory of them is forgotten Their love and their hate and their envy Have all already perished And forever they have no more share In all that is done under the sun Now this is still a pretty bleak portion These next three verses here It's better to be living The preacher says Because at least you're not dead That's it because even a dead dog is not a better place than a living lion. Even the king of the, of the, uh, you know, the forest or the jungle or the savannah, even the king, if he's dead, doesn't really matter. And some sort of mangy mongrel that wanders from town to town is in a better place. It's better to be alive than dead. And that's, that's, that's it. It's pretty bleak. And the passage kind of continues in some of this, some of this bleakness here, right? Because not only are you going to die, you're going to be forgotten. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Yikes. But that's true too, isn't it? I mean, consider your own family tree. I wonder and you can do this exercise maybe in your own mind or talk about it within your own family, how many of us who are here right now would be able to name all eight of our great-grandparents? All eight of your great-grandparents. This is your, this is your flesh and blood. And I'm guessing most of us wouldn't be able to say, yep, these are my eight great-grandparents. Some of, some of you probably are able to. You can tell me afterwards. Or then you could, take it, you could take it another step further. Your great-great-grandparents. Do you know one of your great-great-grandparents? You're just a few generations from being forgotten within your own family. Wow. Ecclesiastes gives to us this difficult truth. Your flesh and blood likely won't remember you a few generations from now if the Lord tarries if we were able to somehow move 150 years in the future without Christ returning and come back to this place, it's very likely that that no one who is currently sitting here would be remembered or at least well remembered. This is the reality. And yet, and yet, the passage still does call us to hope, doesn't it? The living, the one joined to the living, has hope. As hope, And that call to hope in the passage here in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 is important. And I want to call our attention to hope today. Life is brief and confusing, but knowing that life is brief and confusing and trusting in God does not lead one to despair, but leads one to hope. Hope is one of the great virtues of the Christian life. We're called to hope. And I want to call you to hope this morning. I want to call you to hope in your Savior. The Archbishop of Philadelphia, Charles Chaput, he gave a talk a few years ago, and one paragraph has been incredibly important for me in understanding my life under the sun here. Let me read to you this quote from this Archbishop. He says, People sometimes ask me if we can be optimistic, those of us who are religious believers, about the future of our country. My answer is always the same. Optimism and pessimism are equally dangerous for the believer because both God and the devil are full of surprises. But the virtue of hope, he says, is another matter. The virtue of hope is another matter. We have every reason to hope. Scripture tells us we must live in hope, and hope is a very different creature from optimism. Hope is the grace to trust, in, to trust that God is who he claims to be. And that in serving him, we do something fertile and precious for the renewal of the world. That's so good. Those who are joined to the living have hope. Those of us who trust in Jesus Christ in this life under the sun are not called to optimism. And we're not called to pessimism. We're called to hope. To believing that God is who he claims to be and will do the things he has claimed that he will accomplish. And hope. Those of us who are living have hope, and the hope comes from Jesus Christ himself. Let me read to you from 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If you are a Christian, you are joined to a living hope which is indestructible because Christ rose from the dead you have a living hope that will not die because the one in whom you hope Jesus Christ is alive therefore for all of you who are alive and in Christ you have every reason to hope and for everyone who is here this morning who doesn't yet trust in Jesus I want to call you today to trust in him. Ecclesiastes gives to us stark realities of life. And if Christ is not alive, then the best that you can hope for is a fleeting, confused life that ends with you being forgotten. That's the best you can hope for. But in Christ, there is hope for life everlasting. And so trust Christ Trust Christ. Those who are living have a hope. And as we hope, we are called to enjoy life. This is verses 7 through 10. The passage here gives to us the most extended command in the book of Ecclesiastes to enjoy life. Here in verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. Let me me read these again for us on page 662 here. Verses 7 through 10. Go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life, in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. All right, so here there is a command The command is to go and to enjoy life, to go and to find joy in life. We're commanded right away with this one command, go, do it. So for all of you who are wondering, how can I apply this message to my life this week and beyond? Well, pay attention to the command here. Go eat bread and drink some wine. That's pretty nice, right? That's pretty easy. Go eat some bread and drink some wine. Go feast is the command. God's already approved this. Go feast. And then we're told, let your garments always be white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. This is what that's talking about. It's telling you to put on your your nice clothes, your clothes that you would wear to a party. You put on your dancing shoes. This would be another way to put it up, to, to sort of say it, right? Because when, in, at the time when this, Passage was written to the people who were initially receiving, you would wear white whenever you were going to a festival or to a party. It's what you saved for very special occasions because your clothes would get really dirty and it was very hard to clean white, right? It's hard to clean the stains out of white. There was no tide, there were no washing machines. You couldn't just throw it in and then take it out and have all the poof, stains gone, right? So you'd wear your white only on these special festive party occasions. And so it's saying, get ready to celebrate, get ready to enjoy life. And then it says, Let not oil be lacking on your head. Now, this oil that's being talked about here is the oil that would be like sweet-scented oil. So it's like perfume or cologne. So what this is saying is, enjoy, enjoy food and drink, enjoy getting dressed up, make yourself smell nice, and enjoy the life that God's given to you. That's one of the commands today. And then... There's this very romantic portion of Scripture right here. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 9. It's the passage of Scripture that I'm secretly hoping someone will ask me to preach at their wedding sometime. <laughs> Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. That's romantic right there, right? Maybe maybe for those of you who are married, you can read this to each other later today. It'd be very romantic. Enjoy your wife all the days of your vain life. Yeah, that's the command, right? It's saying this life is fleeting. It's like a vapor. It's going to be gone in an instant. So for those of you who are married, enjoy the benefits of family life. And it's speaking specifically to husbands. Enjoy your wife. Enjoy affection with your wife. Enjoy eating and drinking with her. Enjoy... Your wife whom you love, it says. So it calls, it calls the husband to the sort of self-sacrificing love, which is always characteristic of what husbands are commanded throughout the scriptures. Love your wife with a self-sacrificing, self-giving love wherein you are willing to lay down yourself for her and enjoy your life along with her. Feast and celebrate with her too. Make sure that there is time when the two of you can enjoy being together. This is something God approves of, of Ecclesi- Ecclesiastes chapter 9 tells us. And so this really is in certain ways romantic even as it maintains the stark look at life. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. And then whatever your hand finds to do it do it with all your might. When you are working work hard work for the glory of God. Now hey, when you hear this it I think that some people might hear this and be like, that sounds like just too much enjoyment. And Martin Luther actually struggled with that sort of thing. Let me, quote, let me quote Luther here. He says, Solomon's not urging a life of pleasure and luxury characteristic of those who do not sense the vanity of life, for that would be putting oil on fire. But he is speaking of godly people who sense the vexation and trouble of this world. It's their downcast hearts that he wants to encourage. The enjoyment that's described in the middle of this passage is so different for the one who's in Jesus Christ. The enjoyment for life for the one who doesn't know God approves of what they do is the harried attempt to forget that at best all they have to await them in this extraordinary brief time of darkness and nothingness or extraordinary brief life would be darkness and nothingness. On the other hand, the enjoyment of these good gifts directs the one who trusts in Christ to the praise of God, the giver of these good gifts. So Christian, enjoy life. Enjoy the good gifts that God has given to you and let the enjoyment of those gifts lead you to praise the one who has given them. Any time that you celebrate or, or feast or have, or have a party with those that you love, let the enjoyment of that time lead you to praise of God and lead you to realize that that's the hope that you have eternally. The marriage feast of the Lamb. Enjoy life and hope. Then in verses 11 and 12, the preacher, Solomon, turns back to his first theme. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Solomon again returns to this theme that life is filled with chance and frustration. It is soon over. And here again, we're given the message. If you're expecting all to go well for you in this life, you are expecting the wrong thing. If you're expecting everything to go well for you in this life, you're expecting the wrong thing. You're hoping in the wrong thing you are trusting the wrong thing life is short it is full of vexation and if you look at it from the perspective of those who exist under the sun without taking into consideration the perspective of the one who is sovereign it doesn't make any sense it's filled with chance and frustration the things that should happen to good folks don't the ones that should win don't always this is the message here
1: my prayer is that the lord speaks to you through his word